All right, we'll take your Bibles and turn to the book of Mark, or the Gospel of Mark. Uh, the boys and girls, are they staying with us? Oh, they're not? Okay, they're dismissed. So boys and girls are dismissed to go meet with your fearless teacher. Those are our Sunday school teachers and church leaders for tomorrow's church. Uh, so we're preparing them. Pray for our young people. Jesus said, suffer the children to come unto me and forbid them not. And so we uh, are so thankful to have a children's ministry and reaching these boys and girls. Some of these come from our band ministry and some come from homes where their parents don't care to be here, but at least they allow their children to come. And they love to come. So that um, <clears throat> says something about us and the love they sense while they're here. We're going to stand as we give reading to the Holy Scripture this morning, where as we go verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark, uh, we're now in Mark chapter 10, and we're getting into a subject here that uh, uh, some preachers like to avoid because of the controversy. Uh, Jesus is talking about marriage and divorce, and many of our churches today make up a large percentage of people who come from uh, a divorce relationship in their second marriage, some in their third marriage. And, uh, <clears throat> and so uh, it uh, is an area that some preachers uh, tread lightly, but I tread with the Word of God. Amen. And um, I just simply tell you what the Bible says. And, uh, you know, like the cat gets a little ruffled with uh, his fur being padded, well, then we need to turn the cat around, so... That's what we want to do with anyone that would have any kind of offense to the Word of God. We're going to do what our, our best to, to get you to turn around and look at the Bible. I, I will say this, that on, the, on this area of divorce, I believe that God is a God of second chances, and He does forgive. If we get to the point to where we try to justify everything that we've done in a broken relationship, then that says something about us. But we get to that place to where we are humble in spirit and realize, well, there are things that I could have done better. Acknowledge those things and confess them and move on. I believe God in His grace allows us to rebuild on a second marriage. As we read in Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, beginning of verse number 1, remember we left off with verse number 49 and 50 last week where Jesus said, For every one shall be salted with fire. And every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt hath lost its saltness, wherewith will it be seasoned? So he says, have salt in yourself and have peace one with another. I believe that that's the key to marriage right there for a lasting marriage. Is we have salt within ourselves, then we're going to have peace one with another, including your spouse. In verse number 1 of chapter 10, we're going to read down to verse number 12, pray, and then you can be seated. In verse number 1, and he arose from thence, and he cometh into the coast of Judea by the further side of Jordan. And the people resort unto him again, and as he was wont, he taught them again. Well, the Pharisees came to him, and they asked him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, tempting him? And he answered and said unto them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. And Jesus answered and said unto them, 
for the hardness of your heart he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. And they twain shall be one, one flesh. So then they are no more twain or two, but one flesh. So what therefore God had joined together, let not man put asunder. And in the house his disciples asked him again the same matter. And he saith unto them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married unto another, she committeth adultery. Father, in the name of Jesus, bless our time together. Amen. So as we can see here, Jesus Christ is moving now from his northern ministry in uh, the upper parts of Israel at that time as it was divided up by the Roman government into various areas of province. Now he's moving down into the southern part into the Judean region there near Jerusalem. As he prepares uh, to make himself ready for his crucifixion, he's been saying all along, to his disciples that I'm going to be put to death by the hands of cruel men and be crucified and I'll be buried but the third day I will rise again and they could not understand they just simply tried to ignore what he was talking about they were very enthusiastic about him setting up his kingdom and they reigning with him and they were fighting and arguing even uh, their wives and their mothers were uh, discussing among themselves which one would be the greatest uh, in that kingdom and who would get to sit closest to Jesus on that throne and had no regard to what he was saying concerning his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And so as he's moving along and as he's teaching these multitudes and trying to instruct the disciples, he keeps being interrupted by these Pharisees and scribes, and they're trying in every way to trick him, to tempt him. And so here they're testing him on what he believes concerning the law of Moses in regards to divorce. And so he tells them what Moses had to say, and he tells him what, what he knows and what he has to say about it. And so we want to look at two areas of thought in this message this morning. Uh, we want to look at the, the subject of marriage and divorce through the eyes of the law or through the eyes of Moses and uh, the subject of uh, marriage and divorce through the eyes of grace or we could say through the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we look at the marriage through the eyes of Moses, again we read in Mark's Gospel, Chapter 10, and if you see in your notes where I, I don't know if it was put there in the bulletin, but I have Matthew's Gospel 9, 49 through 10 or 12. That should be Mark, not Matthew, in case you were confused about that. But here we read in Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, verse number 2 again, verse number 3, 4, and 5. And the Pharisees came to him and asked him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, tempting him? And he answered and said unto them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. 
And Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your hearts he wrote you this precept. Now we can go to the law. We can look at Deuteronomy 22 through Deuteronomy 24, and we can read what God has to say about this subject. But with the hardness of the heart, uh, we'd have to do a little more research on that. What was meant by the hardness of the heart? And this is why God allowed Moses to give the writing of divorce. And we can say, well, divorce is for immorality, for fornication, for adultery. But Jesus said, no, it is for the hardness of the heart. What is meant by the hardness of the heart? Well, the heart is where we understand what we get as uh, to the seat of our emotion. And the seat of our emotions is what affects our mind and our thinking. And we find that there are those out there, when their hearts become hardened, uh, they become more depraved. Uh, they have a, a, a less sense of concern and care for someone else. Uh, Usually, they're pretty much thinking about themselves. It's all about them. It's not about you. Uh, they have a chip on their shoulder. They could be filled with bitterness. They could be callous with hate. Uh, there could be something going on within that relationship to where they no longer want to be around that person. They could be filled with a heart that is that despises that person. Uh, that. Uh, has nothing but evil and wicked thoughts toward uh, uh, what they would like to see in the outcome of that person. And so a hard heart uh, can also be that which would lead to someone having a reprobate mind. Uh, they no longer have any conviction or any concern about how they would treat that person. Uh, they uh, have this a sense that evil is good and and good is evil when it comes to uh, in the respect of how they would treat others. And so their mind becomes corrupted. Uh, they're, not, uh, they're not pliable to the word of God. They, they're not palatable to the things of God. They have no taste or no hunger for righteousness. Uh, their hearts are hardened. Their necks are stiff. And they're totally rebellious. And they simply don't want to hear it. I've counseled with couples like that. Maybe the husband wants the marriage to work and the wife has a callous heart. Or the wife wants the marriage to work, but the husband has a callous heart. And I can see that we're going nowhere. And I usually try to get them to agree uh, that, they will be, that they're willing to apply the principle of God's word in relationship to their marriage. And if they're willing to do that, I'll spend time with them. And I've had some that said, well, I don't agree with everything the Bible says, and I don't agree with what you just read. And, and I said, well, you know, this counseling session is over then. I can't help you. I'm not going to waste my time with someone like that. Well, the question then is, well, what would cause this type of hardening of the heart? Well, the Bible makes it very clear that it's unbelief for one thing uh, and pride and rebellion for another thing. We read in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse number 13, Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through 
the deceitfulness of sin. You know, if, if our marriages are the last, it's going to take more than just you and your wife or you and your husband. It's going to take a third person, and that third person is the Lord Jesus Christ. He will be the mediator. And when we can agree to agree on everything that Jesus has to say about our relationship with each other, and we're willing to put our petty feelings or whatever it is that is causing us to have conflict with each other to the side, and then uh, we can then work out uh, the problems within our home. Uh, the Bible says that we are to cleave. The word cleave, by the way, means that we'll be laminated together. Therefore shall a father, uh, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife. Now, the word cleave there gives the idea of like plywood. You might have uh, plywood, three or four plies of wood that has uh, been rolled out and pressed down on another ply of wood with glue. And it's heated and it's pressed down and you have several plies like that. And if you ever try to separate that plywood, you're not able to do it. So the only thing that would happen if you tried to separate those plies would you would rip and tear the wood. When God puts a marriage together, what God had joined together, if we try to separate it through divorce or whatever, is going to rip and tear into that relationship. And usually the ones that are hurt the worst are the siblings, the children from that relationship. But it's never a good thing. It's going to cause emotional and psychological problems uh, that are going to be with, with some people for the rest of their lives. And so if this marriage that you're involved with is a marriage that God has joined together, you need to be very careful about ripping it apart. Uh, if we follow the principles of God's word, if we're willing to humble ourselves and follow the Lord Jesus Christ, he is the one that can keep it stuck together. He is the glue that will keep it from separating. But when we drift away from the Lord, when we become rebellious and we're no longer willing to follow his principles... When a wife is no longer willing to follow the principles that God has set forth for the wife within the marriage or the husband within the marriage, and then you have the pride and rebellion stepping in. Pride and rebellion is what causes the wander away from the Lord. We see that in the lives of the children of Israel in Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse number 15. The Bible says that God gave us them bread from heaven when they hungered, and he gave them water uh, from the rock when they thirst. And then he goes on to say, He promised them that they should go in and possess the land, which thou hast sworn to give them. But they and our fathers dealt proudly and hardened their necks and hearkened not to thy commandments. They refused to obey, neither were mindful of the wonders that thou didst among them, but hardened their necks, and in their rebellion appointed captains returned to their bondage. And that's what happens in the lives of so many. You know, we get away from God, and we, we, we just simply walk back to whatever God had delivered us from. I know of broken homes and marriages where husbands have left their wives, and at one time they were faithfully involved in church, but now they're out of church and they're back in the same old lifestyle that they once were in before they were married, into drugs and into alcohol. 
They're miserable, they're unhappy, but they're filled with pride and rebellion. They blame the, blame the marriage and the relationship they had with their wife on the outcome of their life. But they were not willing to work through the marriage. Now, it's, God puts curses upon anyone that breaks their promise. When you enter into a holy covenant with God, He's going to hold you to that covenant. And marriage is a covenant. Marriage is honorable, and the bed is undefiled. The whoremonger and the fornicator, God will judge. When we, when we deliberately break those marriage vows, God has made promise. According to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, uh, that uh, there's going to be a payday for breaking those promises. You know, when <clears throat> I counsel with people in premarital counseling concerning marriage, I, I ask them, uh, do you understand that when you enter into uh, this marriage, you're going to enter into a marriage covenant? Amen. I want to share with you some of the words of that covenant. Do you solemnly swear before God and these witnesses that you at all times and in all circumstances will conduct yourself as husband and wife. Please say, I do. Do you understand what you're doing there? You understand that you're solemnly promising before God and the people that you've invited to witness that covenant that you at all times and in all circumstances until death do you part will honor and love one another. Now, if for some reason you think later on down the road that you might break that promise, then you need to say, Preacher, uh, I'm not willing right now to make such a commitment. I love her, but I'm not sure that I want to go that far with a promise. I said, I would respect that. Now, I will let you know that I'm not going to participate in the, in the wedding. You can go to the justice of the peace and get it done. But uh, that's what you need to do if you're not willing to carry through on your promise. Because mark it down. You're not going to justify it with God. According to what we read in Ecclesiastes 5, you wrote a check with your mouth that your body's not able to pay, and then later you're going to stand before God and you're going to try to make excuses. God says, no, wait a minute. You promised, and I, I'm holding you to your promise, because you promised to me, you promised to me that you would be faithful to her. And God's going to hold you to that promise. Why? Why does God do that? Because God wants us to hold him to his promises. Amen. You see, he has exalted his word above his name. When we go back on our promises, that says something about who we are, does it not? And so... <clears throat> Those that break their promises, they go back on the Word of God. Now, what is God's purpose for allowing divorce, with that being said? Well, it is because of the cruelty that God sees that will happen with many wives that are bound to a husband that no longer wants to be bound to them. So God, out of his mercy and out of his grace, allowed Moses. God didn't give it, but he allowed Moses to give the writing of divorce because of the hardness of their heart. 
We get the idea of this from Malachi chapter 2 and verse number 16 through verse number 18 where the Lord had been a witness between thee and the wife of thy youth against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. Yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. And did not he make one? And yet had he the residue of the Spirit? And wherefore one, that he might seek a godly seed? Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith he hateth putting away. Or may I rephrase that for you, he hateth the writing of divorce. For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit that ye deal not treacherously. You see, God hates divorce, but God makes it very clear because you would deal treacherously with your wife because, hey, I'm stuck with her for the rest of my life. God has allowed Moses to give that writing of divorce because God cares about what could happen to you if you're not released from that covenant. Now, it is not God that releases you from that covenant. It's the law of Moses that releases you. Jesus made it very clear, but in the beginning with God, it was not so. You see, God is immutable. He changes not. So out of his mercy and his grace, he allowed Moses to write this law. And that's why Jesus said, if you divorce and remarry, then in the eyes of God, you're still in adultery. But I honestly believe that when we are saved, all things become new and we confess it as sin. God forgives us and cleanses us. And with whoever we're married to at that point, we, we then have a new life from that point forward because old things are passed away and all things become new. You say, well, what about the couple that marries after they're saved and then divorces? Well, all I can say is we'll let God deal with that. Marriage through the eyes of Jesus. Mark chapter 10, verse number 6 through 12. But Jesus said, but from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain or two, but one flesh. What therefore God had joined together, let not man put asunder. And so the disciples, when they entered into their house, they asked Jesus the same question the Pharisees did. When we go over into Matthew's gospel, chapter 19, we get a little more clearer look at that. The disciples said, well, in that case, this is a hard saying. Who can bear it? It might be better that we be eunuchs than to marry. <laughs> In other words, Jesus wasn't really giving them any kind of a doorway after they're married. Now, we have to understand what Jesus was talking about. The word fornication he uses there in Matthew's gospel, we call that the exception clause. It had to deal with the betrothal. Once they came together and physically united 
through what we excuse the bad word copulation, then they are one. And once they become one, they can never be separated in the eyes of God because now they've been joined together by God. And what God had joined together, let not man put asunder. That's why we read in the story of Jacob, he was mindful to put away Mary, for he was espoused under her. But he was mindful to put her away before they came together. He understood if he didn't put her away before they came together, after they came together, according to the law of Moses, he could not put her away. Now there's some that would argue, well, no, I, I don't buy that. Well, would you buy this? From Deuteronomy 22, the Bible says, if you humbled her before you were married, then you can never put her away after you are married. And 90% of those that enter into a marriage relationship have humbled their bride before they married them. Now, based on the law of Moses, if you want to go with the law, based upon the law of Deuteronomy 22, you could never put her away. So we have to be careful about the law. We better make sure in the eyes of God that we're going to do everything we can to make this marriage work. Jesus is very tough on marriage. Why? Because Jesus Christ has espoused himself unto a bride. And he will never divorce his bride. He will never leave his bride nor forsake his bride. You see, we read something interesting by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 14 where here Paul describes Adam as being an anti-type. For Paul says in Romans 5 and verse number 14, death had reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is a figure of him that was to come. Now, this is symbolic language, and it's in reference to an allegory in which Adam is an anti-type of the Lord Jesus Christ and a picture of salvation. Here's the picture. You see, Adam was created from the dirt of this earth. And Adam had created everything uh, that uh, God had created, and he had named all that God had created, And God saw that it was good. But there was one thing that God saw that was not good, and that was that Adam did not have a helpmate. He did not have a completer. So God caused a deep sleep to fall over Adam, as we see there in Genesis chapter 2. And God opened the rib cage of Adam, and from Adam God took a bone, and he took flesh, and God created from Adam's flesh and bone a woman. And when Adam saw this woman, he called her woman because she was taken from man. Now what is interesting is that God created the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil long before Adam was put to sleep and God reached into his side and from his flesh created a woman. 
Now what's interesting also is the woman was never created from the dirt of the ground. She was created from man. So she is now bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. Now, <clears throat> before God had done all of this, God had created this tree called the knowledge of good and evil, and God had instructed Adam, not Eve, in the day that you eat of the fruit of this tree, you will surely die. So after Eve was created, Adam had the responsibility to tell her about that tree. Satan comes along and he beguiles Eve, not Adam. We are told very clearly in Scripture, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 13 through 14, And Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Adam could have chose not to eat of that tree. He understood that if he ate of that tree, that he would die with his wife. So he chose, rather than to be with his creator, he chose to be with what was created from him, to spend the rest of his life with his wife. So he willingly partook of the fruit and entered into death willingly because of his great love for Eve. That's the antitype. Jesus Christ, the last Adam, came into this earth. He went to a cross. And he was put to death. The Bible says, put to sleep. And while he was put to sleep, his rib cage was open. Amen. And from the flesh and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the church was born. Jesus Christ willingly went to that cross and suffered our curse. The tree was cursed, and he went to that cursed tree for our sake. But he was able to do something that Adam wasn't able to do. He was able to redeem us from the curse of that tree and to give us eternal life. But when he went to that tree, he entered into a covenant with his heavenly father about us. And that covenant will never be broken. He made promise. I promise to you, heavenly father, and before all these witnesses, that in I, in all times and in all circumstances, will act, will follow your guidelines, and I will be with her, and death will never separate us because he lives for eternity. You see, <clears throat> that's why Jesus is so tough on divorce, especially within the Christian marriage. Because within the Christian marriage, we understand that we're a picture of that beautiful relationship. What is interesting is we read over in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 18 through 20, for as much as you have known that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by the traditions of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb 
without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of this world. Foreordained to do what? To espouse himself unto you. That you and I may spend eternity with him in heaven. You see, when we get to heaven, we'll sing that song, the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world, who is now, as we understand, our groom, and we are now his bride. The apostle Paul, when he wrote there in Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 30 through 32, in regards to the marriage and our relationship as husband and wife, he went on to say, but I would have you to understand that we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. And for this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. But this is a great mystery. I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and so that the wife see that she reverence her husband. You see, this world needs to see a little bit of what salvation is like through our Christian homes and through our Christian marriages. They need to see that Jesus Christ is the glue that keeps things together. They need to understand that in our marriage that we are a picture, a beautiful picture of what is to come with our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The thought there, members of his body, as we read there from Ephesians chapter 5. The meaning is clear here that the moment that you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you enter into that covenant of marriage and you become one with Christ through the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God comes within your fleshly body and the Spirit of God seals your soul until the day of redemption. The day of redemption means the day of the consummation of that marriage. When we stand before God and we are physically united with God in our eternal glorified bodies and we sit down with Him at the marriage supper of the Lamb and we forever will be with the Lord. And so therefore we live our lives with that understanding and believing and knowing that as we live out our lives in this world, we follow His principles. We have a husband, and that husband is the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are responsible as the wife or the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ to submit ourselves unto Him, to humble ourselves before Him, to allow him to be the headship over us as the husband is the head over the wife, even so Christ is head over the church. Amen. And so throughout our lives we understand that we have this relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ which is a picture of his headship. We read in Ephesians chapter 5 verse number 23, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Do we believe this is true? Then if you have a marriage that is struggling, make it work, because the testimony of Christ and the church rests upon it. People are watching you. And they're saying, well, if Christianity doesn't work for them, why should I even try it? 
They were going to church. They were reading their Bibles. They were living for God. Now they're fighting with one another. They can't get along. What kind of Christianity is that? I don't want nothing to do with that. You see, your testimony rides on these things. Let me just say in closing, our marriage to Christ has no exception clauses. Jesus again says, and in this, as we went into this house, whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery. If a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. Matthew says, and I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife except it be for fornication, shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth committeth adultery. We find that exception clause there. But there are no exception clauses with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible makes it very clear that when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're espoused unto him forever. He will never put us away. We have put our trust in him, and he has made us a promise. We have been delivered from the flesh. We have been delivered from our carnality. I like what Paul said in Romans chapter 7, verse number 1 through 4. Know ye not, brethren, that I speak to them that know the law, that how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if while the husband liveth, she be married to another man, she, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. You see, at one time we were married to this world. At one time we were married to carnality. At one time we were living in immorality and idolatry and all kinds of wickedness. And we lust and crave the things of this world. And we have no love and no passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. But Christ came along and he saw what we were and he went to a cross and he died for us. He was buried and he rose again. And the moment we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we died to that old person. We died to that old lifestyle. We are made new in the Lord Jesus Christ and we are now one in Christ and we are now bone of His bone and flesh of His flesh. And He will never divorce Himself from us. That's why we read there in Romans chapter 5 the word wherefore. Look at verse number 4, Ephesians chapter, or Romans chapter 5, verse number 4. Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law in the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. You see, when a man and woman are married and they're a spouse together, they consummate that marriage. That means that seed has entered into that relationship and that seed produces fruit, and that fruit is children. Well, you and I are married unto the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been espoused unto Him. We've entered into a relationship with Him. The seed of God is within us, and now we're producing fruit. We're winning souls. We're telling others about Jesus Christ. We're bringing them into this relationship. Since you've been espoused to the Lord Jesus Christ, is there fruit in your life?
And so in closing, the Apostle Paul says concerning this marriage, what it is that can separate us from him, and there is nothing. For he says, for I am persuaded that neither death, death cannot separate me, life cannot separate me, angels cannot separate me, principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Once you enter into that covenant of marriage with the Lord Jesus Christ, you are married unto Him forever. And oh my goodness, does He have a beautiful wedding surprise for you. You see, this whole idea that Christ is trying to get across all the way to Calvary is, here's how much I love you. Don't you get it? Don't you understand, disciples? You're worried about who's going to sit on a throne. You're concerned about all these things, but I want you to understand that I'm going to go to a cross and I'm going to provide a marriage covenant that you can enter into. That nothing in this world or nothing to come will ever separate you from me and the kingdom that I want to bring you into. But you have to be willing to put your trust in me. You see, the moment you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you enter into that eternal relationship. And he changes everything in your life. If I had time, and I won't take the time, I could tell you about how my marriage was on a road to a divorce. Everyone was telling my wife, he's no good. He'll never amount to anything. You need to divorce him. I mean, that was her family. That was her friends. That was everyone. But by the grace of God, she stuck it out with me. And by the grace of God, God helped me to realize what a wonderful wife I had. And in my relation with, relationship with, the, or I should say, in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, he gave us a lasting marriage Amen. with every head bowed.